As we begin, I just want to read some words of Scripture. 1 Chronicles 16, starting in verse 8, says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And that's what we're here to do today. Uh, we're here to glory in his name. We're here to rejoice uh, and remember and recall to our minds all the amazing things that he has done. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would turn our eyes and our hearts and our minds once again to behold who you are and to be reminded uh, in a fresh way again this morning of what a great God it is that we serve. And we commit our time to you. We ask for your blessing to be upon it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's see, Mike, I'm going to have you come on up and uh, share a quick announcement for us. I think this, if this mic isn't on over here, go ahead and switch it on. You're good. All right. Well, good morning. I just have a brief yet encouraging update from the Youth Pastor Search Committee. Uh, we are in, in continued conversation with a, what we believe to be a, a very good candidate who will, we anticipate, be visiting us here at Creekside in the uh, fairly near future. So appreciate your continued prayers and support. Uh, for those who have already given their uh, one-time pledge amount that was due at the same time, your property taxes were due, so that may have been a little bit of an obstacle on, in September, but uh, we're, of course, still, doors still open for that, so we'd appreciate that. And also for your continued prayers as we seek God's discernment and His will for, for us in this process. So, thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Karen and Nora, go ahead and come on up. Karen, why don't you first share your update about the Haiti team, and then Norb, you just follow on with your... All right. Um, thank you everyone who came out last night for our fundraiser. We had an amazing evening together. Um, we raised over $3,000 towards our mission trip. I know it was amazing. So thank you everybody. Um, uh, if you missed out last night though, we still have some meals for you to take home today. So we're going to pack up meals and to-go boxes that you can take home with you. JR stayed up all night to make these amazing pulled pork sandwiches. Debbie made amazing potato salad and did caramel brownies. So we're just so thankful for their service in this. And um, if you are hungry after the service day and you're going to, uh, don't, don't go out for lunch or if you need a meal this week, pick up a to-go box. We'll have that for you. I also want to thank Mary Bristow, did an amazing job of decorating last night with all the, our Haiti uh, decor. It was amazing. The knees are great in Haiti. They're suffering a lot, more than you think it's bad here. It's 100 times worse in Haiti. So we thank you that um, you are generously supporting us and helping us to be able to do what we feel God is calling us to do in Haiti. There are still a few weeks left to donate. If you wish to donate to our team, um, on the bottom, there's a flyer in your bulletin. On the bottom, it gives you all the donation options. It's easy, easy. Just uh, you can scan the, the 
what do you call this, QR code. <laughs> you can donate online at um, creekslidedm.com slash give, or you can write a check. Just be sure to put Haiti Missions Team in any of those, those options. So thank you so much um, for supporting our team this year. We appreciate your generosity, your generous hearts. I know you have the house taxes and supporting our new pastor that's coming for the, the youth. So um, it's just amazing. We feel so blessed to have this congregation supporting us. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I just have an announcement to make. Um, after serving as an elder here for 20 years, it's been my privilege and honor to serve you, but I'm actually retiring as an elder. Uh, Karen and I are traveling a lot, and we've got kids from one end of the country to the other, Atlanta to Oregon, and uh, it's good news. They want us to come and stay with them, so <laughs> that's good. And uh, we're more and more involved in the Haiti ministry, so we're going to be gone a lot. Just different, different avenues, you know, are opening up for our lives, and I just want to make that announcement, retiring as an elder. And I just want to assure you that the guys that are elders now love you. They've got your heart on, on their heart. They pray for you a lot. And they're going to take good care of you. So we're kind of passing over the reins to those guys. And just want to share with you a, a couple of verses. These are, well, a few verses that are my favorite in the whole Bible. And here's an opportunity to just to share it with you. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 1 or 12, verses 1 and 2. These are so powerful. If you actually... Take these into your heart and follow them. You'll be amazed at what God will do through your life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, as Pastor Steve has been talking to us a lot about that but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Thanks, Ken. We, uh, we have these famous words from, from uh, Joshua. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So be careful to keep God's word. In Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Those are some really awesome verses to take hold of, to take them into your life and follow what they say, and God will bless you and prosper you spiritually. Um, 
God bless you. It's been a privilege serving you. Thank you for your care and prayers for my family and I throughout the years. So God bless you. Thank you. I forgot to mention. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to mention one thing. Um, beyond your financial support, we also very much appreciate your prayer support. And within the next few weeks, we're going to be making up prayer cards for individual um, people that are going. Um, if you have a personal connection with someone, you want to pray for them, ask them for their prayer card or they will hand them out to you. Above all else, we need your prayers. We don't want to go forward without the Lord's leading and guidance and protection watching over us. Um, and everything we do. So um, beyond anything, we appreciate um, your prayers for us as well. Thank you. Uh, just stay here, Karen. Stay here, Norb. Uh, I'm just going to pray for uh, Norb and for Karen and the Haiti team. So, uh, Father, just thank you for Norb's faithful service. And I know uh, we aren't done with him yet. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, tap his wisdom and his heart and his love for you. And I know that he and Karen are serving you in many different capacities. I just pray that you'd bless their efforts as they continue uh, to reach out to those in need and to show their love and concern for those who are hurting. And uh, as they serve you faithfully and helping lead the Haiti mission team, we pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them with all might by your spirit and their inner being. And then bless them and the efforts that they give forward. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to welcome you if you happen to be here as a guest, if you're listening online or if you're here in person, this is your first time. Uh, we just thank you for being here. We're grateful for your presence. If you are here in person, oh, I'm sorry, Sunday School kids, you are dismissed right now if you haven't already gone, so the Sunday School is dismissed. And if you're here in person, uh, you received a bulletin. If you didn't receive a bulletin, they're on the welcome table as you come in. There should be a little extra additional uh, piece to that bulletin in which you can fill that out and if you tear that off and put it in the offering box that's also on the welcome table then we have a record of your attendance and we're grateful for your presence and then we can have a little better understanding of who you are if you're part of our church family you can fill that out too and put it in there if you have prayer requests or you have an interest in something or receiving more information or if you have questions or comments we appreciate that and we do uh, try to pray for those so I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, if you would, as we prepare to study the Word of God. Father, you're a great and awesome God, and we come to you just thanking you uh, for the, the wonderful opportunity we had last night as a church body and for people outside of our church body to gather to help raise funds for the Haiti team, and I just pray that you'd continue to uh, work in and, and through the ministry there to Share the gospel and show the love of Christ to the folks in Haiti. I pray now, Father, that as we open your word, as we embark on this study, this new study that we're embarking on and, and heading out into, I pray for your grace and your mercy. I pray that you, our, our, our God and our Father, would be elevated and magnified, that the, you, Lord Jesus, would be honored and exalted, and that the Holy Spirit would be uh, given due reference and due preference and due understanding and knowledge and that we would grow uh, in our understanding of what it means to be your children at this time to live for you we pray for you to guide us to you to transform our hearts and minds we pray it in Jesus name amen amen well uh, we uh, are heading out into new territory now 
We're going to start a new study in the book of Ephesians, but as I was thinking about how we're going to get started this morning, I was thinking, how, do you, how did many of you react this past week when you heard the, the warnings that were coming out of Florida, the evacuation orders, the instructions about how to survive, you know, what goes on in a hurricane, how to deal with uh, sheltering in place in case you didn't get out in time. Um, and you're going, why is he asking that? Well, I just want to ask, did, did any of you evacuate your home? Uh, did, did any of you stockpile water uh, in case, you know, the... You did you buy a bunch of extra batteries for your flashlights and, uh, and uh, charge up your, your cell phone? Anybody uh, put up, you know, plywood over their windows? Uh, I doubt it. I mean, if you did, I, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you if, you, if you're here in Iowa when you did that, uh, you know, for, for the hurricane. No. But... I received some, some correspondence lately, and, and I, I responded to the correspondence. I received notice, Mar- Marla and I received notice in the mail, and we did here at Creekside Church as well. Uh, the creek that runs here along North Walnut Creek, and our home is, is along that creek and near, they're going to do some changes uh, to try to slow down the, the, the flow of water through there, you know, to keep it from being too devastating to the people downstream, I guess. And so like, whoa, what, what's going on? You know, they're going to start building barricades and barriers. So, you know, I'm calling and finding, trying to find information. I got a letter from the DNR that says, here's what's going to happen. I'm like, whoa, boy, this is big stuff. And then I was told, no, don't worry about it. Well, we'll see. Okay. Then I got a, a letter from Mid-American Energy, and they're, they're going to do a bunch of tree trimming uh, in, in our neighborhood to, you know, get the trees out of the power lines. Well, fortunately, we don't have any power lines right next to our house. I don't see them anyway. But I was like, whoa, I'm concerned about this. And if you ever have known about the, the little boys in the red, uh, the orange trucks that go around and cut trees when we live. We lived in Albert City. We came back one time after being gone for Christmas break, and I'm telling you, our trees were butchered. I mean, it was like half the tree. Was, I, I never saw a tree like that. It was like, this is not origami. This is not, you know, the Mr. Miyagi you know, training the trees. It was just like, whoa, half the tree was cut off. I said, seriously? You, you cut, I mean, how could this land? Anyhow, that's another story. But the, the, the point I want to make is that when we receive correspondence, we really don't care too much about the correspondence unless the correspondence comes to us from a prominent authority, unless the the correspondence we receive is personally applicable, unless there's some relevance to our life, we really don't care. And so as we start on our study in the book of Ephesians, The question that we might be asking is, why should I care about Paul writing to a church in what is now Turkey, Asia Minor at the time? What difference does it make to us? But Paul starts trying to answer our question, I think. In the beginning, the first two verses of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul tries to convince uh, readers then and readers now Christians about why we should care. In fact, he employs 
three tactics in these verses to connect God in Christ to the source of the letter, to the substance of the letter, and to the significance of the letter in order, I think, to convince us and inspire us to receive it and then to apply it. So if the source comes from God and the substance comes from God and the significance is for us as Christians, then maybe we should listen. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. In the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your device or your phone or whatever, or if you don't, there should be a Bible somewhere in a seat, underneath a seat in front of you, in close proximity to you. And I'm going to begin by reading, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 1, but I'm going to actually read through verse 13, okay, because I'm going to set the context for next week as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, that is, in the beloved, who is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens, things upon the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, Verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God, God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, aren't you glad we're just doing two verses? Okay. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the church at Ephesus, to, the, to the, the church of Ephesus, the saints, okay, he says, to the, to the church, to the saints, I'm sorry, who are at Ephesus, not the church, the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three tactics, and the first is that he shows us, uh, gives us a message whose authority is sourced in God and in Christ. It's not an accident that in these two verses, the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus is mentioned three times. All right? Paul's self designation, Paul an apostle. 
An apostle means sent. Sent one. He's a messenger, okay? He's a messenger. But, But there were many messengers in those days. There are many messengers today. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but out in California, Governor Gavin Newsom had some billboards put up, and these billboards were intended to be a promotion and actually endorsing the, the taking of innocent lives within the womb, the babies, aborting babies. And it was an advertisement, you can come to California, you can be here, and we will take care of you, we're concerned about you. And in doing so, one of the billboards has, has listed in it, on it, Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. So in a sense, using the scripture in order to advocate the promotion and promote the taking of innocent life in the womb. Such a use or misuse of scripture is absolutely debased. It's blasphemous. In fact, he had the right authority. The absolute wrong conclusion or application of that authority. The authority is the word of God. In fact, he skipped over the first part, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then you shall love your neighbor. Because you cannot love your neighbor if you do not love God. And if you love God, you will not love your neighbor by taking the life of an unborn child. So he had the right authority, just the wrong application. There's two sources of Paul's apostolic authority that he mentions here in the text. He says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Indicates possession and his unique position as an apostle. Paul's saying, I'm Christ Jesus' apostle. Okay? I'm the apostle of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. Paul's not just somebody speaking about Christ Jesus, but he's speaking for Christ Jesus. And the New Testament uses this term apostle, and we're going to see it when we get into chapter 2, verse 20. uses the term apostle as an official title of those who were chosen by God in the founding of his church. The apostles and the prophets. In all but four of Paul's epistles, in all but four of his letters to New Testament churches, and in letters in the New Testament, he appeals to this authority, calls himself Paul an apostle, Paul an apostle, Paul an apostle, in all but four of his epistles. Now think about it. How is it that Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, we would want to go back to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, where he was on the way to Damascus, as Saul, the the Pharisee, intended to persecute the people who were of the way, the Christians. And it was there that we see, and I'm not going to, we're not going to exposit this other than these, these four points. Saul, who was persecuting the Christian, was confronted by Christ, the risen Christ. And Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? So he was confronted by Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And then in verses 4 and 5. And then Saul was called by Christ in verse 6. And then in verse 
15, he was chosen by Christ because he went into Damascus blind because he had, had encountered the Lord Jesus. And there it was Ananias who was, said, you go to see this guy named Saul and he, I have chosen him. And he's chosen him by Christ. He was, he was chosen by Christ for salvation. He was chosen by Christ for service. Then he was commissioned by Christ to take the gospel to whom? The Gentiles, and to the Jews, and to the kings, and the sons of Israel. It says, before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And amazingly, if we looked in Ephesians chapter 3, it says, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Because the church at Ephesus, with the saints of Ephesus, were predominantly Gentiles. There were a few Jews, but there was predominantly a Gentile city. Okay? So here we have Saul speaking with the authority of Christ. That's what he's appealing to as he opens this letter. He's saying, this is coming to you. You know, this is a letterhead, okay? If you have the letterhead, this is from the office of Paul the Apostle, of Christ Jesus. The same devastating hurricane that went through Florida before it happened, Governor DeSantis and the director of his disaster relief program and the FEMA people were all standing before the people of Florida, warning them, cautioning them, instructing them. And it was their, their, their position that gave authority to their proclamation. Who they were gave credibility to what they said. Paul's just saying, I'm speaking for Christ. The authority of the messenger gives its, its credibility. Paul's message is coming to us from the crucified, risen, and reigning Christ. An apostle of Christ by the will of God, he says in the text. That's the second authority upon which he appeals. And the Father and the Son work in concert, never in conflict. So they're never in conflict with each other. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus testifies this. Jesus therefore answered and said, was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these are the things the Son also does in the same way. So they work in concert with each other. Paul wanted the recipients of this letter, which includes us. I'm going to make that case in a minute, but I, I believe it includes us, to receive the letter in the same way that the church in Thessalonica received the letter that he sent. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. Now, Paul understood that he was frail. Paul is not touting his apostleship as some sort of a, a, a club to beat it over the heads of the people us or them, he understood that he was one of the, the worst of all saints. I mean, he says that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He was the least of the saints. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 through 15, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. God called me into this. So his appeal is not to his own credibility, but to his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the source of the letter makes it significant to us, but then it, it also has applic applicability. It's applicable to us. 
which gives us reason to listen to it. And we see that in the second tactic that he employed, we have a message whose audience is defined as those who are in Christ. This is a letter written to those who are in Christ, the saints, okay? The saints, what does it mean to be a saint? No, we're not, to, you know, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you have a different vision of the saints or a view of the saints than you, you do from this New Testament passage. Saints are those who are holy. They are the, the set-apart ones, made righteous. The righteousness of Christ has been applied to those who are saints. Every believer is a saint. Is set apart by and intended to serve God. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. That you might proclaim the mysteries of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have been saved, we have been declared saints, declared righteous. There's two descriptions of the audience that I think helps us understand how this would apply to us as saints. First, to the saints where? At Ephesus. Now, some of you have a Bible, and in there you'll have a, a footnote or a mark or something that says, well, this in some of the oldest manuscripts, the, the, the title to Ephesus wasn't really uh, in the text, and this and that and the other thing. Well, just take it this way. I believe that the, the, the letter was intended for the church at Ephesus, the saints at Ephesus, with a broader application that it would be shared with among all of the churches in the region in Asia Minor. So it started there. He says, I'm, I'm sending it to you guys first, and then it would go out. And you can read all kinds of commentaries if you want on all that, and you don't have to take my word for it, but I, I do believe it's not inappropriate to have at Ephesus in there. It's just we need to understand it goes out broader than that. And he wrote it from prison. Paul wrote this as one of his prison epistles. We see this in chapter 3, verse 1. We see it of Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 1, he calls himself a prisoner. A prisoner. Prison in Rome, cross-reference it to Acts chapter 28. He was a prisoner in Rome. And while he was there, he wrote four books, four letters. One to Ephesus, one to the church at Colossae, one to the church at Philippi, and one to, uh, that's entitled Philemon. Okay, so that's what he did while he was there. Somewhere around 60 to 62 A.D. Okay. Now, we see, uh, can we, do you have a slide of the map there on, at Ephesus? So you see where Ephesus is at, okay? This is what we would call, this is modern day Turkey. All right. And it's along the Aegean Sea. Okay, so that's where Ephesus is located. Can you just leave that up there for a minute? So we have a record of Paul's ministry at Ephesus recorded for us in the, God, in the New Testament in Acts chapters 18 and 19 where during his, the end of his second missionary journey and the beginning and a bulk of his third missionary journey he was in, he was in Acts. In Acts he was in Ephesus. And his ministry in Ephesus was quite remarkable. Remarkable in its duration in Ephesus, and in its demonstrable impact in Ephesus. He started out by going into the synagogues, which he often did. Well, he got those people so ticked off that he only could stay there for three months, and then he had to go into the school, what's called the school of Tyrannus, where he ministered for two years, for two years in the school of Tyrannus, so that Luke said of it, the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Okay? I've uh, just received an email from a friend of mine. He's, he was doing some overseas ministry and got back. And 
He was sharing about a pastor that had come up in this country to him and shared how, how there's so many people that are just coming to Christ, but we don't have anybody to disciple them and to train them up in the ways of the Lord. The word of the Lord was spreading rapidly and, and, and being magnified, and that's what was happening with Paul. Now you see, Ephesus was a port city, but it was a major port city. It was one of the largest cities in Rome at the time, but it was... Uh, and it was kind of a melting pot. It was a melting pot of all kinds of uh, peoples from all different countries, but predominantly these people were Gentiles. It was a melting pot of uh, sorts of trade, and it was along four major trade routes. So it was a very, very influential city in, in that part of the world. Okay, But it was also a, a blending of cultures and, most notably, it was a prominent religious center of a pagan goddess called Artemis, or if you refer to it in the Roman, uh, the Romans referred to it as the goddess of Diana. And the worship of Diana, the worship of Artemis, was centered around immorality, and it dominated the idolatry of the age. There were something like 50 different idols known from history in Ephesus at the time. But Artemis, the worship of the goddess Artemis, who was a fertility goddess, was prominent. She was referred to as the queen of heaven, as lady lord and as savior to the people there. Now, think about it. Heaven, we're going to read through the Ephesians. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ as seated in the heavenly places above all rule and authority and principalities. We're going to talk about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about him as the Savior of the world. So when Paul is in Ephesus speaking of Jesus as in heaven, as Savior, as Lord, he's directly conflicting with the place and the magnificence of the prominent goddess that the people worshipped. <laughs> he's not making friends when he's doing this. And so we see that, that Paul was there, and we see also from history that there was this emperor worship. Because it was a Roman place, they really held up that you needed to worship Caesar because Caesar was God. And so there was an idol for Caesar as well. The occult and magic arts were practiced prominently in this place. It was a pagan place. Not too unlike where we live. Think about it. Within a mile from here, you can go to a, an astrology center. and You can worship the stars. Within two miles of here, you can, I think, approximately, you can go to a, a Scientology reading room. Within about 10 or 12 miles from here, well, even not even that far, within about two miles from here, you can go to an Islamic temple. You can go to an Islamic mosque uh, just outside of Granger. You can go to a Hindu temple and cultural center just south of Madrid, just north of Granger. In Midwest Iowa. Idolatry is prominent. It's prominent, I think, in worship of self. Most of the arguments that I have heard and now being purported about why we should continue to allow the murder of babies in the womb is because of me. Because people claim that they have the right 
to do this. It interferes with my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my preferences, my life plan. We worship materialism. We worship stuff. And so we have this same thing. And Paul's message and ministry, it was contrary, in conflict with the culture of Ephesus. Folks, the message that Paul preached to the church in Ephesus and the churches in Asia Minor, and these are the churches that you ref- we refer to in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the church at Pergamum, the church at Smyrna, the church at Philadelphia. These are the churches in Asia Minor that, that Paul sent and wanted this letter to go to as well. But we, we see that he created a, a, a culture that was hostile to, to Christians. If you're preaching this message, it's going to be hostile to the people that are living the message. And yet, the church kept growing and kept growing. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. So here's my, my thing. Paul's, or what I want to say, Paul's concern for the spiritual progress of those among whom he had labored so faithfully for two, over two years, that he cared about so deeply, and that he had not seen recently, spilled over into, I I want you to know how I care for your spiritual progress. It's not a message just for them, it's a message for us. Because we live in a life, a culture, and a society that is no different than what they lived in. And God is still concerned for our spiritual progress, just like as he was for theirs. And then he says, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, in Christ is a phrase you will see repeatedly, we will see repeatedly throughout this text because the text of Ephesians, as much as any other New Testament text, is about exalting Jesus Christ. In Christ, he says, the faithful in Christ. Two things I want to draw from this faithful in Christ, the the in Christ part of it. We'll get to the faithful in a minute, but first it is, We're in Christ because we believe in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ, is that you believe in Christ. In Romans chapter chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, why would there be condemnation? Why would there be condemnation to those who aren't in Christ Jesus? Because in Romans chapter 3, Uh, verse 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Romans 6 23 the wages of sin is death because those who are not in Christ are deserving of condemnation our sin separates us from God therefore we deserve the punishment of God we deserve the condemnation of God but here's the deal in Romans 3 23 you know Romans 3 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but Romans 3 24 Gives us, gives us the remedy that we're being, we are justified by faith, not by works, as a gift. By His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Oh, lots of fancy words. We're, 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 we're justified, declared not righteous. If you're righteous, you don't get sentenced, right? I mean, if you're righteous, you don't get punished. 
So we're declared righteous not because of our own self, but because of the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And redemption is a purchase price. It's a price that was paid to purchase us. And he goes on in verse 25 to say what the purchase price was. It was the blood of Christ. Christ's blood shed on the cross paid the debt you and I owe so that we would be declared righteous through, and he goes on to say in verse 25 and verse 28, through faith. The purchase price is applied by faith. When I go to the store, I either pay cash or I use my credit card. The price is paid through the cash or the credit card. It's applied. So the, the blood of Christ paid the price and it's applied when we receive it. When the store clerk takes my money or they take the, the credit card company, it's approved. It goes through. It's received. In the same way, Christ's blood paid the debt and is received when, or it's applied when we receive it. Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 3, verse 28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 5.1 We have been justified by faith, <clears throat> therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Oh, we're no longer in condemnation. So that's what Paul is talking about when he says they're in Christ because they believe. So I asked you this morning, are you in Christ? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that his death paid the debt that you deserve so that you could no longer be under condemnation if you accept his blood shed on your behalf and you believe it? We're in Christ because we believe, or we, 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 we're in Christ means we believe, but in Christ also means we belong. We believe in Christ and we belong to Christ. We're one with him in his death. Where our debt was paid and, this, and, 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 and the sin, was, sin debt was paid and, and canceled. And in his resurrection we join him in new life and anticipation that one day we'll be raised together like he was, into new life. We're in Christ. In Christ, the scripture says we live, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, in Christ we live and we move and we have our being. Our very existence as Christians is we are in Christ, we believe in Christ, and we belong to Christ. Our whole life is in Christ. That's what he's saying. To be in Christ. And we're partakers of all the blessings that accompany being brought into the family of God. That's a big deal. But most of us don't live like that. Most of us don't live with the knowledge of it. The understanding of it. The application of it. That's why Paul wrote Ephesians. Or one of the reasons. So that we would embrace that and understand it. And then we're faithful. 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 People in Christ are believers who are behaviors, okay? They are people who are in Christ and who possess faith fully and practice faith daily. They are reliable, they're dependable, they persevere in the faith. That's what it means to be faithful in Christ Jesus. We don't abandon our faith. Yes, we are trusting in Christ for our salvation, but we're also living out our faith on a daily basis. And so those are the people to which he wrote. And I would just submit that the faithful believers then and the faithful believers now are, are threatened. Paul knew that. 
when he was in Acts Act chapter 20, the last time he, he met with the elders in Ephesus, he was warning them. He says, look, it's bad. It's going to be, I'm going to leave and this is what's going to happen. And he gave them all of these uh, instructions about how to take care of themselves because we're threatened from without. Okay, we're threatened from, from proponents of uh, those who are proponing, uh, purporting and promoting gross immorality. Proponents of idolatry, proponents of deceptive philosophies, proponents of the occult and worldly ideologies. I mean, think about it. Just this last week, we, we read, we read of a, of a story of a, of a pro-life guy with seven kids. And the FBI sent 20 or 30 FBI agents to storm his house, holding guns to his head, because he had, uh, had been involved in standing outside of abortion clinics and, and trying to counsel people who had either had an abortion or people who, before they came in, had an abortion. And they were busting into his house based on charges that had been dismissed over a year ago by the local authorities. For what purpose? Seems pretty obvious to me, because he stands for a pro-life position. We just... There's an article in the, in the Washington Post this past week by uh, Kate Cohen. And here's the title of the article. I don't want your God in charge of my health care. I don't want your God in charge of my health care. We live in a culture in which the demand, demanding the right to kill babies is euphemistically referred to as health care. And the, the, the right to mutilate minors is given the euphemism gender-affirming care. These things are from the pit of hell. And we as believers are in the midst of it. And we cannot stand and be silent. We cannot sit and just say, oh, this is okay. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the external forces that are arrayed against us. And I don't see how any Christian can support anyone who's supporting these things or any political party that's party to it. We cannot stand it. But that's the, that's the culture in which we live. And it's arrayed against us. And from within, from within, Paul says, savage wolves, this is him speaking to the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Perverse, uh, speak, savage wolves will be speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them, threatening Christ's body, the church, within. Just this past week, I'm reading stories about major leaders in major church denominations who are either going to excommunicate or are advocating for the uh, excommunicate people who don't go along with or advocating the, the promotion of the LGBTQ plus agenda. And that doesn't stop there. You've got deconstructionism, people who are talking about the fact that, you know, they, they, they once believed in Jesus, and these are prominent evangelical people who once believed in Jesus, and now they just abandoned Jesus. They really have a new understanding of the Scriptures, and it's really more inclusive. You've got Rob Bell out there saying, love wins. There's no such thing as judgment. Everybody's going to heaven. It's all one way. Now, I'm not sure exactly he said all that, but that, that is being promoted. That they're, if they're, We just read this morning. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is not a way to God. He is the way to God. And so from within the church, we have these forces that are 
pushing against us. The spiritual forces of wickedness is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. They, are, they continue to perv- pervert the culture and pollute the scripture and press believers to conform to the world and compromise God's word. You know, now this may be a stretch, but you, I ho- hope you hold on to it. We're, 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 we're not too dissimilar spiritually to what Jed Clampett was physically, okay? Now, you younger people will not maybe know who Jed Clampett is, but that's okay. Google it, okay? It's there. Google it, okay? And, and you know, Jed Clampett, the, the opening, opening of the, the Beverly Hillbillies, you know? He, Jed Clampett, and in, in, in the, the text goes, the poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was hunting for some food, and up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Texas tea, black gold. And the next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. And the kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. That's right, it was Texas tea. So, okay, now my point is this. Jed Clampett and his family in this fictitious series... They lived meagerly because they didn't understand the riches right beneath their feet until they tapped the riches right beneath their feet. Folks, we live spiritually, destitute, struggling with hardship until we understand the riches we have in Christ as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so until we tap into that and face the battle that rages against us, we will live ineptly and to that end because he wanted us to live in the riches of Christ. Paul wrote, Paul the apostle of Christ, wrote to the people in Christ about the riches of Christ so that we could live for Christ and as Christ. This is Ephesians. The riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints. How valuable we are to the Lord Jesus in the process enables us, empowers us, and strengthens us to live for Jesus. And so, in the book of Ephesians, it's it's laid out for us. The first three chapters, chapters 1 through 3, is all about Not all about, but its emphasis is on doctrine. Who we are in Christ Jesus. Who we are. And and these are the doctrines we're going to be touching on. Not just doing a 30,000 foot flyover. But diving into these doctrines. The doctrine of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What are we saved from? How is it that salvation comes to us? It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that nobody can boast. None of us deserves it, but those who receive Him and trust Him receive it. It's an individual focus on the doctrine of salvation. Then, the doctrine of Christ. I said earlier, Ephesians is all about elevating the, pers- the supremacy of Christ in everything. It was Abraham Kuyper who said this, 
There's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Mine! He cries, Mine! So that my life in Christ is Christ's. And your life in Christ is Christ's. Every part of it. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action, every involvement, everything I do is in Christ, if I fully understand it. I have His presence, I have His power, I have His peace. Getting there in a minute. The doctrine of the church, to understand what it means to be in Christ, that is our identity. Now, my identity is not as a male, it's not as a female, my identity is not as a pastor, it's not as a truck driver, my identity is in Christ. And in Christ, we are together as a body. So that our cohesiveness in Christ transcends every other thing. Our relatives, our, our blood relatives, it transcends race, it transcends language, it transcends culture, it transcends everything, so that in Christ we are one body in Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and actually the doctrine of the Trinity, because we are sealed in the Spirit. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to pray in the Spirit. It is a study in, theologians would call it, pneumatology, the Spirit. And then that's the, that's the doctrinal section. Now, it's not the only doctrine that's teach. Then the, the last three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, is the practical section. It's how we are to live in Christ. It's who we are in Christ, how we're to live in Christ. And here's what he touches on there. Four spheres in which Paul instructs believers how to live. How we're supposed to live in the church. I, uh, there's a church that I'm very familiar with and uh, I know the pastor and know people in the church and uh, recently, the last six months, there's been this great upheaval in the church and here's, here's the cause of the upheaval or at least the, what they're proclaiming is the cause of the upheaval. They had a bunch of uh, families with young kids. Now, what church wouldn't want that? Okay? And the church was glad about it. But the, the families were bringing the kids into the sanctuary during the worship service, and some of the kids were being kids. You know, I mean, they were just being noisy. So the pastor just said, you know, hey, you know, if you, if you want to take them out and, until they quiet down a little bit and then bring them back in, that would be good. That was it. A bunch of people got ticked off. Oh, this church doesn't care about kids. So a bunch of the families with young kids left. You see, the pettiness and the immaturity that comes from failing to understand who we are in Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ, this is garbage in God's view. We need to stick together because we're in Christ. It's that's the glue that holds us together, not the fact that, oh, we all dress the same, we all look the same, we all have the same interests. No. We have the same income, we have the same job occupation. No, nobody. that's not going to be heaven. You know, And so this, this practicality is in the church and he calls us to unity and maturity. In the 
And that's the one area. In society, calls us to purity. This is chapter 4, verse 17, to chapter 5, verse 20. And in the believing family, he calls us to humility and integrity. This is chapter 5, 21, through chapter 6, verse 9. And in dealing with our spiritual enemy, stability, stand firm in the faith. It's like, we can do this in Jesus. And the final tactic he employs here is we have a message whose advantage is derived from God and Christ. The twin blessings he mentions there at the end of verse 2. He says, grace to you, or in verse 2, grace to you and peace. So grace and peace are derived from two sources. But these two sources are not really, they're, they're manifestations of the same source. Because if Christ said it, God said it. If God said it, Christ said it. So they come from the same source, although they're individually articulated. And I think there's a nuance there. Maybe I'm, you know, you can test me on this. I don't, I'm not going to die on a, a wall because of this. But it seems to me there's a couple of nuances here. Grace is God's unmerited favor, his undeserved kindness, okay, in which we stand as believers. Peace is the absence of conflict. It's contentment. So there's the salvation perspective of it. We're saved by grace through faith, and so in God and in Christ Jesus, we understand. We embrace the the, the undeserved favor of God. We don't deserve salvation. We understand that. We we embrace that from the Father and the Son. And we experience the the, the kindness of God in in Christ. And we have this contentment in Christ when we're saved. But then it's not just that which happens at salvation, but it's that which continues. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We we come to understand that the the Father loves us. It's, it's, It's the sustaining grace and peace. It's not the saving, not only the saving grace and peace, but the sustaining grace and peace of God our Father. When we rest in His presence, when we rely on His power, when we respond to His perspectives, and then we we demonstrate love. We become like God. This is what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, you can read it. Walk in love. Be imitators of God. <laughs> okay? So that's the, the grace is this ongoing realization of undeserved favor. The fact that you're here is God's grace. The fact that you can see and hear and listen is God's grace. The fact that you can enjoy the barbecue and, uh, or the, uh, the, the smoked meat and you, you're, you survive it. That's peace and it's good stuff. Okay? And that's His grace. Well, that's His grace. But then it's the fullness, the contentment, understanding and enjoying and experience the fullness of what it means to be in God and in Christ Jesus. Then it's from the Lord. That's from the Father. Then from the Lord speaks to the favor and fullness of Godhead manifest through Christ in His undeserved favor and the contentment that comes from Him as... Now notice the twist that Paul made there. Christ Jesus, he says... Christ is an apostle of Christ Jesus, you're faithful in Christ Jesus, then you know the grace to you and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. So when I recognize that, when I live in the light of that, then I know the grace of God and the peace of God and the peace of Christ ongoing. I surrender. And when we surrender to Him, 
We understand that he, we, we, we joyfully understand and cling to, to Christ's identity. We stand firm against the enemy. We experience the fullness of grace and peace granted to us by our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're here and you're listening and you don't know Christ, all I can say is, I, I'm hearing it, you know. I mean, the economy tanked, right? Anybody, anybody watch the stock market lately? Uh, it just kind of went, nosedive. But there's people out there promoting a surefire, you know, insurance against a bad economy. You know, they're, they're promising it. They're promoting it. And it's, you know, they can't. They're saying it. Jesus Christ promises us, guarantees us the riches that God provides for us. And he provides us the only solution to the chaos. Not just economic chaos. The chaos of finances, the chaos of our physical bodies, the chaos of spiritual separation from God only in Christ. So my plea to you is, don't be one of these people who are outside of Christ, but be in Christ and enjoy His riches. Today is the day of salvation. Trust Him today. And for believers, the thing is, this message has the authority of Christ written to those who are in Christ concerning the riches of Christ so that we can live like Christ. I hope you're uh, on board to, 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 to go in depth to some of these things. It's worth listening to. It's worth applying. It's worth understanding how we can be in Christ and enjoy the riches of it. And when we take the bread and the juice, what we're doing, in, at least in part, is that we're saying we believe in Jesus we believe in Christ, we belong to Christ, and we really want to behave like Christ. And so we're symbolizing and celebrating our union with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, your word, and I thank you for the, the message of the Apostle Paul. I ask that now, Lord, as, as believers in Christ and those who are all believers and only believers are invited to join us. In, te- in celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper and taking the bread and the cup. And I pray that as we prepare our hearts that you'd help us to confess known sin, get our hearts right with you so that we can come and take this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus who sacrificed all so that we can be in Christ and know the grace of God and the peace of God, not just in our salvation, but in our daily lives. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name.